0: If you're gonna be in charge, you have to be, in my mind, the bravest person in the room. You don't have to be the smartest, you have to be the most willing to say, I don't know, but I'm gonna learn.
1: Hey folks, this is Abe Shreve. Welcome to the Choose Difficult podcast. The path to success is not easy. Here we explore the stories of those who choose difficult and change the world they live in. Today, we're coming to you from beautiful Ogden, Utah. There are two amazing women that own a business in Fresno, California. The name of their company is The Talk Team and they provide speech pathology and behavioral therapy to kids that require those services. And when you serve and help a child that's struggling, you help an entire family that's struggling. Their names are Amy Prince and Amber Ladd. And when I first met them several years ago, they told me they love this work so much, they would do it for free. However, they've grown a pretty big business. In 2019, They closed the year with $2.4 million in gross revenue. Now, of course, they are paying their therapists, physical spaces, there's a lot of expenses that come out of that. But that is hardly a small business. These two women are not only great speech pathologists, but they have dedicated their life to the study of business and how to lead people and help provide opportunities for them. Today, they have 41 therapists. Over 400 kids receive speech pathology services every week and they continue to grow. But they didn't start their career looking to become business people. They started their career because they wanted to be speech therapists.
0: In the simplest terms, what speech pathology is, is it is an intervention that essentially spans the whole lifespan. We can work with infants and up to geriatric patients in any domain that is communication. It can be how they hear. It can be how they speak it can be the words they use, it can be sign language, it can be using a device to communicate. Anything that falls under the realm of communication with other people is within our scope of practice.
2: Not only are we a profession that assists their children with communicating, but we are the ones that give them hope. Mm -hmm. And I think that has become a huge driving force for us here in our business because we constantly come across families who have tried and tried and tried and fought for their kids and not been able to get quality services that make a difference. And for us to be able to form those relationships and know that we're making that impact on their family is
1: huge. Mm -hmm. Amber had been referred to Amy as a possible clinical fellowship supervisor. That was what was required for her to continue on to her licensing. She spent one day with Amy and knew immediately she wanted to work with this person. She loved the way she worked. And those two were just kind of off to the races. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. They were working and being supervised by a person that they just came to understand really didn't have their best interest at heart. In fact, there was something weird that happened with Amber's license. And it actually turned into a little bit of a legal battle. We learned very early on in their story that the woman that owned that business and the person that they were working for didn't stand up for Amber, but Amy did.
0: We went through some really weird legal stuff. When Amber got her license, she had a five-day period where she didn't have a license. And somehow our governing board discovered that. And it turned into a huge, Mm -hmm. huge mess where we ended up having to get a lawyer and we had to go to mediation at our governing board in Sacramento. And I remember the individual we worked for at the time did not stand up for Amber. And it made me so angry. And I stood up and I argued in mediation against what they were saying. And I said, you know, we, she didn't operate unethically. We were under this assumption. This is the problem that happened. It was actually our licensing board, which is kind of wonky. And her fingerprint one was smudged or something. And so they couldn't run them. It was dumb. So I stood up and said, no, she's a good professional. There's no reason they were threatening us with fines. They were threatening to take away her license. They were threatening my license. And I was able to speak. And it was funny because I think we both walked out of that. And we did. We, we got rid of, we had a very small fine and a warning, a slap on the hand by the end of the conversation. boy,
1: well, it's really hard to show up to work every day and do your best work when you work for someone that you don't think has your back. When someone isn't going to stick up for you, they're not going to fight for you. Amy and Amber fought for one another. And they both said that day they mentally quit their job. And it wouldn't be too far into the future. They would make it official and they would both resign from that particular firm. They decided to go out and celebrate over lunch.
0: We went out to honestly to celebrate the fact that we were leaving, to celebrate the fact that we were finding our next step. And we disclosed to one another over appetizers that I had two clients who told me, we don't care about this business you work for. We're going with you. And I, we did not try and poach clients. We had no interest in private practice. But she said, oh, funny, I have two who want to as well. And so we decided, well, let's do it right. That's a funny story. But let's do it right. And let's start a business. And this was so- way
2: back before, you know, again... Google wanted to tell you how to start a business and those legal steps that you need to take to make sure you do everything correctly. So we knew we had to,
0: it was 2006. We were like, let's file a fictitious business announcement in the mountain press, which is like four pages and 17 people read it. And so you filed our fictitious business statement and we became the talk team and talk used to be an acronym. It was T period, a period, L period, K period. We were so proud of ourselves.
1: So a lot of times a business will get started because somebody has a certain passion around providing a service or they've built a product and they want to take that out into the world and and share their product or share with others how to build that product. And they'll look at themselves in the mirror, they'll look at a partner and they'll say things like, we need a logo. Or, Or they'll say, should we open a bank account? And... That idea that just because you know how to build the thing you want to sell or just because you know how to actually provide the service you're selling, that doesn't mean that you understand the business of your business. And in, in fact, this is where we see so many people stutter step when they're launching a business is they don't take time to understand all that is required. Some of that you can research. Some of that you can get mentors for. You can get people that will help you through it. And some of that you're just going to learn because you're going to fall and skin your knee and gain knowledge. One of the things that I love about Amy and Amber is they, they fell down many times. But like true entrepreneurs, they would get up, dust themselves off, laugh a little bit. And then they were off with the knowledge they now had, working for the knowledge that they need next
0: early on the biggest challenges were learning all the steps we missed when we were launching a business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, this is so janky, but we were, you know, we'd get paid and we'd write down the money on the front of a notebook that we kept data it. We didn't have any method of tracking how we were getting paid. When we, the first time we hired a bookkeeper, he was like, you guys realize you're missing $13,000, right? No, you no, know, <laughs> that. that wasn't <laughs> on my notebook. Um, And so I think that our early on challenges were realizing what we'd done wrong, Mm -hmm. Um, not knowing learning
2: learning what we didn't know. Yeah. Because you don't know what you don't know until it slaps you in the face. And $13,000 later, (laughs) you realize that's important.
0: And I mean, things like you don't know about workman's comp and you don't know about healthcare, and you don't know about paid time off, which is legally required in the state of California, sick time, everybody has it. Like so many things that we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And there was probably a period of three years as we were growing where it felt like we were getting slapped in the face repeatedly. Your, your corporation was formed wrong. You need a new corporation. You were named wrong. You need this number. You need like yeah. your tax ID number wasn't changed yes. over here. And so now you can't bill for these services. So I think that that was probably one of the biggest changes or challenges was learning what we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then trying to go back, because you feel horrible when you go back and you're like, well, I didn't know. Well, that's a dumb answer. You can't say that because nobody cares that you didn't know. Um, so you have to really actively seek out knowledge and you don't even know what you're looking for mm-hmm. sometimes. And I feel like that
2: that keeps happening in waves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were there and we learned all of those things. And then we felt like, okay, we have a good understanding we hired some people to take care of some of those pieces for us. And then you grow to another level and it just starts all over again.
0: And the, I think the, the demon that is bad hires, because you knew us when we went through some of that, but we had some bad hires that were to the point of being dangerous to our business being being successful and being okay.
1: I love that description, the demon that is bad hires. Some of you listening to this right now just shuddered because you can identify with the challenge that occurs when you don't have the right person in the right role doing the right thing. It is really painful. I asked Amy and Amber, why did you make bad hires?
0: Lack of oversight on our part um, with at least one of them. We had a a big issue with a bookkeeper and I think we just, we trusted. We trusted too much. We didn't vet it in a way that we, we didn't have a series of checks and balances that let us say, okay, what you're saying doesn't make sense or yes, it matches up. That's what we expected to financially take in last month. Thank God, knock on wood, we're relatively sure he never stole from us. We didn't have that kind of a, a drama, but there, was, there were so many errors that we found when we finally started looking. Um, so I think lack of oversight on our part And trusting too much. Yeah. Well, and I think not within that trusting, you know, you want to hire someone to take
2: on that piece of your business that really knows what they're doing and with the lack of vetting. Mm -hmm. And then I think also the lack of understanding, we didn't understand exactly what needed to happen, which then led to over trusting because Mm -hmm. we put ourselves in that position of, oh, you're here you're going to be our savior for Mm -hmm. this piece of things. Thank you. Take it and have a great time with that. And we didn't know what to look for to make sure that things were being done properly. And that's been a lesson. I think that we've gotten to continually learn.
1: There is a phenomenon that seems to apply equally to all people on their leadership journey, all people that hire others. And that is that we have a tendency to hire out of pain. And it's either the pain of being overwhelmed and needing assistance in the work that we're doing, or it's the pain of needing a specific function of the work done that we don't know. And we're looking for a solution to hire and just give that to. And you heard the girls say they trusted too much. In a moment, we're going to talk about what you can do so that you still have trust, but you also have optics, you have eyes, you're able to see if there are challenges. The phenomenon that I'm talking about, we call falling in love with the candidates. Now, not literally falling in love, don't get weird on me. It's this idea that you're meeting with someone in an interview and they sound impressive. And while they're speaking and, then, and answering your questions, in your mind, you can see that they would be a great solution. In fact, you finally found them, you found a rock star. Mentally, we start to lift the weight off our shoulders and transfer it over onto theirs. We're, we may even be feeling relief. And when we hire that person, we start to describe them to others with titles and accolades that should be reserved for someone with a five-year track record. Like, they're a rock star. Finally, this is the person. Finally found the one. Then we immediately underlead them. And then we're surprised six, eight weeks in when they don't seem to be meeting the expectation that we really haven't communicated to them. So what do you do? What do you do to avoid this? Well, there's something you can do.
0: When we early on started in coaching, one of the things that you helped us do and the, that has MAPS has helped us do is actually having KPIs. We didn't before. Mm-hmm. We didn't have performance indicators. We didn't have metrics. We didn't know, as embarrassing as this is, we didn't know if we were profitable. Mm-hmm. We thought we were because there was money in the bank, but we didn't know how. And I don't... It, we. We couldn't have figured that out that we didn't know until we had people to then break down and say, here's where the money's coming from. Here's where we're sending money out. Oh yeah, we are profitable. Yay. Uh, (laughs) Glad we were right. But I think that you can learn all about meeting KPIs. And I, because I have a spouse who is a Keller Williams person, we have that side of things. He, He would say those words and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I look at the bank account. And and look, there's money in there. There's still. money in the bank account. And we pay people, and the kids we, come to
2: speak.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yes, I have a list of checks that I have collected and deposited. <laughs> therefore, I'm good. Um, and so I think that you you can't, especially in a business like ours, that there's not that many companies like us. So you can't go. Okay. Well, these are the right KPIs for us. Mm-hmm. There was no way to know. And so you're right. I think until we actually got into it, how did we know that we needed to, sadly, reconcile what we billed to a company and what they paid us? Because in the insurance world, sometimes you bill them $80 and they give you $15. And you have to go back and say, why did you give us $15? Oh, well, that was wrong. That was a mistake on our part. Okay, we'd like the other $65, $75, please. Um, But we didn't even... We were Mm -hmm. so busy being really good speech therapists Mm -hmm. that we didn't even think that that an insurance company might not pay us what we built them because we were really good speech therapists Mm -hmm. doing a great job and having really good impact. Well, and I
2: feel like we grew so slowly and so organically that I feel like in comparison to other businesses where you have to have a business plan and you go out and you get financed and someone is looking to make sure that you're doing things the right way so that they'll give you money. Mm -hmm. And we never were in that position. And so (laughs) we just gradually kept adding skills and knowledge and people as we learned that we needed them. Yeah.
1: Eventually, Amy and Amber realized that they needed a system for how to find, identify, hire, and lead talented people. And they did just that. They found a process. We, we actually, in the coaching world, we call this booby-trapping your success. We want to take away the reliance on your gut feeling, your initial nod at people, and actually put some systems in place that will help you with your blind spots, help you uncover where the real strengths in this particular candidate? And where are the weaknesses that you would have to backfill if you made this hire? And this is not something that's just unique to small business. This is any business that's hiring can benefit from a hiring system and a process. I asked the girls, when did you very first feel like a real business owner? And they traced it back to a time when they made a hire using a process for the very first time. We
0: needed to hire somebody and we went through an actual hiring process. We didn't just get a bunch of resumes and hire somebody's aunt Susie who really had worked a front desk before. Like we went through a hiring process. When I talk about our hiring process now, people are like, wow. And yes, we had people who let us in how to do it, but I think we've definitely put our own spin on it over time. And now I'd say the majority of the hires that we have made in the last two years or so have been successful. And they've been the right people and we're ending up with people who are appropriate because we learned how to hire mm-hmm. and i feel like the first time we hired somebody because we used our process i felt like a business owner because people weren't like well why'd you hire her because she's nice <laughs> no i didn't hire you because you were nice i hired you because you matched the parameters of the person we needed and from moment one you followed the instructions We looked at a disk, we looked at a, a KPA, we looked at these things and we actually matched a person to a position, not just the best resume we got off of Indeed or Craigslist. We used to say we would never hire somebody who we wouldn't spend a weekend at the beach with. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done with that. I want to spend a weekend at the beach by myself because I hired the right people to run
2: the steel business. That was the first time I felt like a successful business owner Mm -hmm. that actually had the knowledge.
0: I was going to say also, I've got to say, the first time we ever fired anyone. I mean, like I can go back to that day. It was July 7th of 2018. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for any flaws in any coach that we've had, He said, you have to do this, go into your office and do it, get it done. And it was, I mean, it was an almost an uncomfortable, it was already an uncomfortable conversation because we were like, well, maybe it'll get better. (laughs) Maybe if we're really nice to her, it'll get better. And he was like, no, get (laughs) And so we did, we had to sit down and I think it was the most terrified either of us had ever been. Mm -hmm. We cried on and off the entire day. It needed to happen but I think maybe there was the first time like hiring right came after that. But the first time I had to fire somebody and say, Mm -hmm. you are a danger to my business. We
2: finally recognized it and
0: did something about it. So I'd say any one of those moments or those moments all in conjunction with each other, those are the times that it became apparent that we don't get to just be good speech therapists anymore because that doesn't, that doesn't lead our team.
1: So I, I want you to pay attention to this pattern that Amy and Amber are displaying right now. It's something that we've seen with other guests on the podcast, other high performers, and it's that they have a a great ability to look back at past failures, catalog the learning, ask themselves how they would do it differently, and then do it differently the next time. That's really, really important. Otherwise, we're not failing forward. We're just failing. These two are a lot of fun. And even still, under the most perfect circumstances a partnership can be really hard I asked them how do you work together how does it work
0: Amy's empathy bone is broken (laughs) I'm very very bad at empathy Um, and I'm too good at empathy we balance each other out very well I tend to be the one that I feel like I have thicker skin than you Mm -hmm. and so if a situation's ugly if something's bad if a parent is mad if we've got an ugly meeting I'll put on my heels and I'll go in. I'm good. I'm fine. I'll put on my pencils, my power suit and I've got this. I'm fine. And that does tend to be, I charge like a bull. (laughs) Um, And it's funny because I wasn't like that when I was younger. I think that as our relationship has developed, she's more likely to, you know, oh, you've had a bad day. I'm going to give you a hug, pat you on the back. And I'm like, sack up, go home and have a glass of wine, come back tomorrow and be awesome. That's what I got for you. I think it but I think it works Mm -hmm. it works for us and I think that we
2: have gotten to the point that we're so honest with each other about here's how I think we should go about it here's how I think we should go Mm -hmm. about it that we always end up finding ourselves with lots of really good options Mm -hmm. and then we can go through that and figure out the best plan moving
0: forward (laughs) I've always been a spreadsheet girl Uh like I'm spreadsheets and numbers and graphs um I don't like them but I need them to see things. Yes.
2: And I think that I don't do that, but I think very linear, linearly. And so I can take something and say like, okay, if here's where we're going, I can back it up 50 steps to find out what the smallest step is that we need to take forward.
0: People have told us never go into business. Never don't have a business partner. Having a business partner is the worst thing ever. We're at almost 17 years mm-hmm. of doing this and I would not trade her you know, for anything. I would lose everyone else out there before I would lose Amber. I would go back to it just being the two of us mm-hmm. because this would not be if it wasn't for mm-hmm. her. Cause she's the other half of my brain. When you ask that, if we were different, she's sometimes when I can't think of something, she'll say it. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. We do things very mm-hmm. much in sync. Yeah. And I'd walk away from everyone else before I would walk away from Amber. Same. <laughs>
1: In over 10,000 coaching calls, one of the things I get asked with more frequency than anything else is, do you think I should take on a partner? Do you think me and that person should become partners? It's something that a lot of entrepreneurs do. They realize that entrepreneurialism is a lonely endeavor. It can be hard and there's a lot of pressures. And sometimes we want to we believe that those pressures are made easier by sharing 50-50, all of it with someone else and more times than not that simply doesn't work these two they break that mold they understand how they're different but they're aligned on their mission and they just continue to break through their learning barriers break through their experience barriers they're at all times cataloging their learning and after all of this time they really get that about their development
0: what's awesome now is i feel like thank god for the last 16 years and everything we've learned because now we know what we're looking for mm-hmm. sometimes we're like we need to measure this and we'll sit for a minute and we'll throw ideas back and forth and they're like this is how we measure it and so like when we started the behavior side of things we tried to measure it just like speech and then we had to stop and we were like we're not getting what we need to see it doesn't work okay how do we measure it differently but now we can take 24 hours and come back and go hey here's what i think we mm-hmm. should measure Where we used to be like, I don't know. Do you want to watch how many times somebody sets the (laughs) alarm a week? I don't know. What are we measuring? Now we can look and we can say, yes, this is working or this isn't working. Or yes, you're right. It's time to hire another admin. It's time to hire another high level person. No, right now we need to focus on our billable hours aren't matching what we would need to hire another person. But we can say that it's Mm -hmm. not a gut feeling anymore. It's a solid, based in
2: evidence decisions. well and I think you hit on two things in there that have been a big part of our learning process one is what we call stupid idea time we came up with a beautiful good name for it at one point and we can't remember what it was so we stupid stupid idea time time. but we have given ourselves that permission to sit down and say we're going to throw every idea we have at the wall until we come up with a good one and then also that idea of giving it 24 hours Mm -hmm. because we used to Right now right, our now, right now, right <laughs> now. first idea was we just took it and ran with it and did 24 hours later, we'd yeah. be like, dang, we shouldn't have told everybody that. <laughs> I take it back. We did a lot of just kidding. <laughs> We're not really doing it that way. But I think that those two pieces have been really big learning periods
0: for us.
1: Amy and Amber have just told us that one of the things that they had learned was when they had a new idea to let it sit for about 24 hours before they just take it out to the company. They said that there were a lot of times they had to come back and say, just kidding, we're not gonna do it that way. In the spirit of growing and getting better, they started sending annual surveys out to everybody in the company. They would tell them, look, you don't have to let us know who you are, but you do have to fill it out and you have to be honest. It takes a lot of integrity to ask people to share feedback with you that you might not wanna hear
0: at least once a year we send an anonymous survey out to our entire team and we tell them very on very honestly we want the good the bad and the ugly you can put your name on it you don't have to tear us apart we have to be able to see it and so for the last three or four years we take those and usually we before covid would go away somewhere and we would spread them out and we would cry and Mm -hmm. we would get angry sometimes we try and figure out who wrote that nasty thing on their (laughs) survey but I think that every single time we would hear people say it's hard when there's so much change, Mm -hmm. it's hard when there's so much change. I don't know who to ask about this. I don't know where to look for this. And I think that that has stuck with us Mm -hmm. because I mean, and this year who had any control over change because the world turned upside down specifically for our staff. And we had to change because that was the only way we were going to stay alive. But we hear constantly from them, like, less change. Can we change less? And so I think that even when we have to present change now, we're so much more cautious about how it's presented and how much energy we put into making sure the idea is finished. Mm -hmm. And we know all the steps before
2: we put it out to people. If we didn't share why we were making that choice and why we were changing something,
0: people felt blindsided. Sometimes we even have to invite them in to brainstorm about it. Mm-hmm. These are things that we, we were never like, we've got an amazing team of therapists. We've got these remarkable people working for us and we weren't asking them and yeah. they're the ones seeing 35 kids a week. We're not. So we're making a decision that affects what they're doing when we're not doing it. And I think we finally come mm-hmm. to that point where we we open up and we're like, come in, we're going to talk about this, that we have to do. And you can all, you're all welcome. We know A isn't working. We need to talk about what B is going to be. Come on in. Consistently, we get five or six or seven people who will either write input or show up to talk about it. We weren't asking before Mm -hmm. because we thought we knew the right answer because we were in
2: charge. And I think that we (laughs) thought we needed to have the right answer. I think we felt like as leaders, we needed to come in with, here's how we're going to fix all the problems.
1: This is an important place where they've arrived. This understanding that... Even though you're the business owner, you don't have to be the one that has all the answers. That's a lot of pressure. And most of us, when we live that way, when we live thinking we have to somehow be the one that has all the answers, we're doing that to cover up insecurities. Time in business, learning through failure, failing forward. Those are the kind of things that bring wisdom. And wisdom helps us to know you don't want to seek all the answers on your own. You don't want to be the source of those answers. You want to create a company that will bring the best thinking of a great group of people together to provide solutions. So that is how you run a company and pick people when everything's going well. But what do you do when a global pandemic and an economic crisis all comes together and emerges upon a business that is 100% completed face to face? You got to pivot and you got to pivot fast.
0: We were lucky. Our team stepped up and they became the most (laughs) phenomenal virtual speech therapists I have seen in my life. It was amazing. And I'd say we maintained maybe 65 to 70% of our clients through the first shutdown. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in June, when we reopened, we were very calculated. We brought back very small amounts of kids, I think we're back to the same number of impact hours that we mm-hmm. were pre-COVID. We kept measuring the whole time. We kept our metrics. We kept watching. We were blessed. We got one of the payroll protection loans. Within that time, we never decreased what we were paying. At I will never discount what an impact that had on keeping us a, a strongly functioning business. We never, not a single one of our employees took any pay cuts not on their healthcare, not on their, mm-hmm. not on their 401k, we were committed that they were, and I mean, we did have moments where we had to mm-hmm. think about it. And then we said, no, yeah. we can't. So we advertised our virtual therapy like crazy. Mm-hmm. We did, we presentations. were doing videos. Yep. We were putting ourselves out there like
2: we never had before. Yeah. We created yeah. presentations for school districts mm-hmm. based off of the knowledge and skills of everyone on our team so mm-hmm. that we could help other people
0: through. And honestly, we will now never get rid of virtual therapy. Mm -hmm. Now it's a real thing. And we've got kids who've done it from vacation. We've got kids who've done it from the hospital because they're sick. We've got kids who've done it from home because mom can't travel because she's got four other kids at home. We're able to impact kids that we might've been missing before. Mm -hmm. Plus at the beginning of this year, we took on school district contracts. All they want is virtual. And so we get to be really good virtual therapists. We cover school districts that are an hour to an hour and a half away, but we can now because we learned how to do this. And so I think for us, I will never say I'm grateful for COVID, but I'm grateful for what we learned in all of this because we wouldn't have learned it otherwise. Mm -hmm. And we're better now.
1: I think when the, when COVID hit and the world stopped, it, it really shined a light on what we've got in us. Like it gave us an opportunity for the business owner to look deep and and really ask, do I have it in me to do whatever's required and to grind this out? And I have loved watching Amy and Amber just continue to grow as, as business leaders and as professionals and as innovators and thought leaders in this space. I wanted to know what advice do you have for other people on how to grow and how to become better business people?
0: Go slow and be brave because honestly, I think for us going slow is part of what was good. And when we've tried to move quickly through things, we tend to have those problems Mm -hmm. like idea ADHD and those (laughs) kind of things. But when we go slow and then just the idea that if you're going to lead, if you're going to be in charge, you have to be in my mind, the bravest person in the room. You don't have to be the smartest, but you have to be the most willing to screw up. You have to be the most willing to say, I don't know, but I'm going to learn. And, you know, I don't know what that number is, or I don't know how to talk to an insurance company, but I'm going to figure out how, and I'm going to be tenacious in figuring out the answer so that I can then pass it on to the right person. But I need to know. Um, And I think that being, you can't be scared, or at least if you are, you've got to be really good at taking a deep breath and putting it away and stepping into the unknown, because that's not anyone else's job. That's my job. My job is to figure out the solution when technology is broken or when our 401k contributions don't make sense. They don't, they don't need to solve that problem. That's my job. And so you have to do the yuckier stuff because it's your job.
1: I love the way she said that just there if you're the leader, if you've raised your hand and you said, I will be a person that will lead others, then you must be the bravest of all of them, the most willing to make mistakes, the most willing to say, I don't know, but I'm going to find that out. That is the burden that a leader bears. It's that unwillingness to just hand things off and blindly trust that someone else will get them done. We have to know enough that we can lead people in these functions and in this growth. When your business is a face-to-face service and you believe in it with all your heart and a global pandemic hits and takes away that face-to-face contact, you better be someone with a lot of grit that knows how to pivot because you believe that the world is incomplete without the service that you offer. That to me is the ultimate display of passion. And that really is the guiding feeling and the guiding force behind Amy and Amber at the Talk Team. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you've enjoyed our time together, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to explore the stories of extraordinary individuals who choose difficult.